Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. I am Josh McCarty. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. And Luca, the preseason is over with. Josh Allen and Diggs didn't get hurt. Success? Yes. Uh, the biggest success is we got through preseason and preseason's finally over, to be yeah. quite honest. <laughs> that is that is the best part about preseason is the moment that it's over. And it's like, okay, the next time we see any form of football, it will be things that count. It'll mean something and it will be entertaining and not kind of uh, you have no idea what you're going to get. And then actually it doesn't matter at all. Yeah. And we are going to talk about the Bills Bears game, but we're going to do so much more through a big picture lens. What did we learn about position battles? I, there's no reason to go back and rehash. Like, why did Sean McDermott punt on fourth and four? Which, by the way, I was kind of annoyed with. But that's just a <laughs> me problem, not a you problem. Um, and we are going to talk about what we know now about these position battles. Because, Luca, I think there was a lot of clarity coming through on Saturday at cornerback, at middle linebacker. The, the, right now, the battle between Tweedledee and Tweedledum. We'll just talk about that here in a bit. But... Um, overall, Luca, the game ended, the bills got the win for whatever that's worth finished preseason two and one 24 to 21 in Chicago, that game ends. And what's the first thing on your mind? Thank God it's over. And for the most part, all important parties are healthy. Um, so that's kind of where my head is at when it comes to that. And then when it comes into relation of the game and the result and stuff like that, just a couple eye-opening things that I don't want to tease into too much. Um, I just thought that the individual who started at left guard um, was kind of noteworthy. And then on top of it, then also at the cornerback position, how that was handled were two of my biggest takeaways. And then, of course, overall, I was just happy to see the offense kind of have a good drive, product productive drive. Josh Allen do Josh Allen things. And then next thing, they got the poll. It's good to go and everything's fine. Like that was that was the best outcome of the game possible. And it happened in such a smooth way that, I mean, I was happy to turn it off when it was. And I'm just sad that I missed a really good run at the end. But at least I caught Ooh. the highlight afterwards. Yeah, you did miss a good run by Darrington Evans. But, um, you know, I don't know if that'll make him on the Bills roster. In fact, I'm pretty confident it won't. But hopefully that's something that the rest of the league sees. And maybe he can find his way on somebody else's roster. Let's start with that first drive by the Bills offense, Luca, because a major talking point coming into this week was that Sean McDermott was going to play the Bills starters. And I will tell you, there was a part of me that wondered, okay, what happens if it goes poorly? Because you do this because you want them to have momentum going into the regular season. And when I say go poorly, I do not mean what happens if somebody gets hurt. That's a given. But what if they have a couple three and outs against the Bears? And all of a sudden now it's like, now what do we do? Now we're stuck. Now we're pot committed to this. We have to have a good result. Are they just going to keep Josh Allen out there? For a full half of football, I kind of doubt it, but it was really a chef's kiss result, as you like to say, for the Bills as they got in, got down there, scored, and got out. Josh Allen in there for one drive, and he went five of seven for 49 yards, had a classic Josh Allen completion on third down where he scrambles around, throws against the green, and finds Gabe Davis. The drive was capped off by a two-yard Damian Harris touchdown run, which was a very nice sight for sore eyes to see him in there running hard. But Luca, my question to you is there was a lot of discourse last week about concerns about this offense. And, you know, when you think back to the last time we saw this team on the field in a meaningful situation, they scored 10 points in a playoff game. Was there ever a point last week where you were concerned about the first team offense or, or have you been pretty much where you thought you would be at this point? I wouldn't say this is exactly where I expected to be. I wouldn't say this is something where I go, okay. By week three, the first team offense is going to be playing. They're going to play a drive. You know, it's going to be not pretty, but effective and hopefully will be good come, you know, week one in the regular season. But overall, it's not like I'm I, I wasn't a massive issue. I have issue that they had 12 penalties in the first half last week. I have issue that it just was far from smooth and there were so many problems. And McDermott is and in his monotone way was actually a little bit visibly upset and stuff. Like you could tell that it was getting to him, that things were not clicking when it comes to the offense and pre-snap penalties and all that kind of stuff. That said, being the different people that were on the offensive line, being that there were other things being explored, like going more expansive with 12 personnel and stuff like that. When you know, there's a lot of change coming. It's not like you can be, um, you can't be closed minded or you can't, 
you can't just assume that it'll happen smoothly. Like there has to be bumps in the road. There has to be kind of a hiccup period and you need to give them kind of that allowance for some mistakes to be made. And overall, I'm just happy that what we saw in Pittsburgh last week, what we saw with all of the messiness and just the absolute kind of dysfunctionality of the first team offense seemed to have gone away completely in one drive. It's very limited and just kind of a small sample size, but it seemed to all go away. Things were clicked. It seems that a message was delivered to that unit and they were able to be productive. And then of course, gain the trust back from McDermott and everything to then get the early pull. Although I don't know if that was by design to not, or not regardless of the drive, I would think he just wanted to see them have a successful drive. And if they weren't successful, say they went three and out in the first, they probably would have played a second, but overall I'm glad that that's what happened. Got the confidence of McDermott and everyone else back. And at least their mojo is back now when the games start mattering come week one. So they finish on a high note, give that touchdown drive against the bears, but there were a couple notable offensive players out there for that drive. We're going to start with right guard as third preseason game in a row. It was rookie right guard, second round draft pick Osiris Torrance. And compounding with that at left guard in for Connor McGovern, who has an injury. We don't know how long-term it is. Speculation is he could be back sooner rather than later, but there was a conversation of, would it be Ryan Bates? Would it be David Edwards? It was David Edwards. I found that interesting, but not overly surprising because I do think this team thinks very highly of David Edwards. And I think that the Bills are in a very fortunate situation, Luca, where they have four guards on their team, Bates, Edwards, McGovern, and Torrance, all NFL starter quality. Now, I'm not saying they're all Zach Martin. <laughs> That's not <laughs> what I'm saying. But I'm saying that all four of these guys are capable of starting in the NFL, and that is a great place to be when your one significant injury right now, outside of what's going on with Von Miller, is your left guard. But what that tells me is, one, the Bills very much value Ryan Bates as a backup and really want him focusing primarily on backup center. And then if he's needed to come in elsewhere, he is. And two, we are staring right down the barrel at Osiris Torrance being the starting right guard, which I think is fantastic. But I will also tell you, Luca, I want the Bills to let him have enough rope. I don't want this to be a situation where he has a bad rep or he has a bad quarter and he's yanked and Ryan Bates comes in. I want him to be able to go through those growing pains because that is super important when you look at some of the interior defensive linemen in the AFC East, some of the interior defensive linemen on the Bills schedule. He is going to have plenty of downs. I want them to let him work through that, embrace that, give him the ability to be empowered to work through those mistakes. And I think the Bills have a chance to have a real special player on their hands. I, I'll even answer it kind of backwards or just kind of respond to what you've brought up backwards. And I'll start with that whole rope conversation with Torrance. I will say I get this feeling that he already has that. I feel like he already has a little bit of slack in the leash kind of deal because for for the lack of you know production and just the ugliness of the Pittsburgh incident, it would be easy, I would understand, for McDermott to go, okay, we're going to put Bates back in at right guard because at least he has a little bit more experience and understanding of what we like to do, and then you figure out what you're doing at left guard due to the injury situation. And it's like, hey, maybe the rookie was having a little bit of the yips, although I don't believe he was really any other problem in the first place. It's like, you know, we'll try to do this. We'll, we'll change it up, see if that solves the solution. The fact that they went right back to it, they put him at right guard and were successful. To me, that indicates there's a level of trust that's beyond just he's a rookie and we like his potential. I think there is actually a level of trust both between McDermott and Allen with him at that right guard spot that just can't be understated. And to me, he is the right guard unless he does something wrong. And I, when I say wrong, I mean massively wrong. Like I'm talking just an absolute stretch of poor performances. And I think it's games, not game that would take that um, unless it's right out the gate. Say it's game one and then starts game two and it doesn't go well. I think that's where you'd see an early leash. Uh, but that would be understandable too. maybe the moments just getting to him now that the games matter and you're getting those first teams against you all the time. And that would be OK with me. But I also do agree with you. I hope that there is a long lead to this. I hope they don't just kind of get an early you know, trigger finger to pull him out and then just go with someone they view to be more trustworthy. Uh, just because I think you're doing a detriment to the entire offensive line unit by doing that, along with also potentially hindering his progression. So um, with that, I'll also then go to the Edwards thing. I even mentioned it in a friend group chat with Edwards. 
I thought it was an interesting thing. And it was the first thing I paid attention to because it's like, okay, your, your actual expected starting left guard is out yet. You are still saying that you're putting 17 and 14 out there for that matter. So that means you trust whoever you are starting the game with, with them being out there in front of them or in front of Josh Allen more. Um, and the fact that it was Edwards over Bates to me could be a couple different things, but to me, that just says that they, I believe, trust him more than Bates when needed in a starting position at that position. I, I think that's all it is. Like, bottom line, they might value Bates more as kind of that breaks glass utility, can plug and play wherever you need him and give you serviceable reps, and you also don't want to kind of potentially hurt that. That could come into play to this, but overall, I look at it as I think they just truly at the left guard spot value Edwards greater than they do Bates and with their prized asset under center or in gun out there for that first drive they wanted Edwards to be there at the left guard position and to me that just puts him above Bates in their mind that is a it's a bottom line black and white analysis of it and I just think that's the way I would hope they were about that decision because your most important piece was out there at that time and you need to do everything you can to protect it so Overall, I, I, I'm not discrediting Bates or saying Bates is not as good as we thought or anything. I think there's a lot of difference to it. But if we want to be as simple as we can about it, I do believe McDermott and everyone else just values um, what you call it. Sorry, Edwards blanked for a second. Edwards at the left guard spot if needed over Bates. And I think Bates becomes kind of your center right guard plug in if needed moving forward, obviously barring any craziness going on at the left guard spot or whatever else that you really got to start shuffling around for. But you know, in a simple one man's out, you need to bring in your next man there. Edwards clearly to me now is seemingly getting the nod at that left guard spot moving forward. And you hit the most important point is with Josh Allen back there, they are not experimenting. They, they are not going to say, hey, go give it your best shot, young fella. Like that is a franchise quarterback back there. So they showed their hand of who they trust the most. And I do think that maybe we have been overanalyzing this Ryan Bates thing all summer because if he is in their mind one of their four or five best offensive linemen they would be playing him despite his versatility I think they do truly believe that Osiris Torrance is at least as good and has a chance to be better as the season goes on and maybe they think the same thing about Edwards they're two different kind of players too Edwards is a little more of a, a force in the run game and Bates is a little bit more athletic and a better pass blocker and I think maybe the Bills are kind of excited about what they can do in the run game with Edwards and Torrance out there to start the season. But hopefully Connor McGovern comes back. He was playing well for the Bills early on. Very quickly, Luca, Damian Harris capped off the drive with a touchdown run. Is it oversimplifying it on my part to say that Damian Harris is going to be the goal line back, James Cook between the 20s? I still think Latavius Murray is going to have a say in this. But uh, if you're a fantasy football player and you have James Cook shares, did that worry you? No. God, no. Um, I think... I do think Harris will maybe be that guy in short yardage distance saying one, two yards. If they really want to try to do something in between the tackles and just pound out that yard or two to advance the ball, whatever it might be, whether it's over the goal line or just to pick up a first down, maybe they do find him to be more of that downhill, you know, can squeeze through gaps, whatever you need him to do to grind out that yard or two. I, I would imagine that. And that's no problem that I, I wouldn't, I don't look at it as James Cook would be a better option in that instance as well. It's just overall, I think I think James Cook is going to be out there snap share wise a vast majority. And just the opportunity stake is so high with James Cook. If we're looking at it from a, van, a fantasy uh, viewpoint that Harris being in there for the two yard punch in or whatever the actual yardage was, that would not be a concern to me at all. I think. If you start seeing throughout the season, if we're going to even progress this since it's a fantasy conversation and it's kind of a fun breath of fresh air here, um, if all of a sudden early in the season you see like, hey, it's second and goal from the seven and it's Damian Harrison in there and not James Cook, that's then where you start to reevaluate maybe where he is on a fantasy projection. But that would have to be a trend you see early on in the season over time as well. Like if it's just a personnel package situation and it's Josh Allen under center and, you know, they're they're in almost like 13 personnel or whatever. You, it's like, OK, well, no, based on the package, it's going to be Damian Harris over James Cook. And then if you start even seeing James Cook in that instance, you should know you're fine. But overall, I would not be concerned at all just based off that one thing that happened in the Bears game when it comes to James Cook and fantasy. No. 
the thing that encourages me the most about James Cook, both in fantasy and reality, is my biggest concern for him was how would he hold up as a pass protector? It's only preseason. We're not seeing exotic blitzes from these teams, but so far, so good for James Cook. That is a very, very encouraging sign for him. We are going to get to the middle linebacker situation for sure. We're going to get to the cornerback two situation, but let's just focus on offense here for a bit and go to another offensive topic because backup quarterback has been a popular topic, Luca, this offseason. Um, they, the Bills signed Kyle Allen. It sure seemed like he was the lead for quarterback two. Matt Barkley would be quarterback three. And then Kyle Allen was borderline horrendous against the Colts. Matt Barkley came in and played very well. And for about a four or five day period, it became a, well, they both make about the same salary and Matt Barkley knows the system. Maybe Matt Barkley's the better quarterback too. And then Matt Barkley went out there and did what Matt Barkley does, followed up a good performance with a horrendous performance and had four turnovers and an injury in the Steelers game and still is not practicing. So Kyle Allen took the field against the Bears for the second drive, and that drive ended with an interception on a ball that should have, A, never been thrown because Gabe Davis was not open, and B, if you are going to throw it, put it in a position where he can make a play on it. That did not happen on that play. He threw it behind Gabe Davis, essentially right to the cornerback as long as he turned his head around. Kyle Allen also had a fumble in that game where I thought he held onto the ball a little bit too long or maybe was delayed in climbing the pocket. I I know there's some blame on the offensive lineman that was in Alex Anderson. But overall, I thought that was my issue with Kyle Allen in general is you see the good, you see the bad. I think he has plus mobility. I think he has a decent arm, but my goodness, Luca, it takes him forever to go through his reads. And if he has to go off of his primary read, you're just covering your eyes and expecting the worst. Do you at this point, Luca, think that the bills backup quarterback is currently employed by the Buffalo Bills. No, I, I don't think that the backup quarterback uh, is on the Bills roster right now, employed currently by the Bills. Um, I think the uh, link to Trey Lance is kind of the biggest tip of the hand that should tell you that the Bills are very open to figuring out the backup plan elsewhere. Um, you hear the rumblings of Case Keenum potentially being on the cut line for the Texans. They obviously tried to see if they could make a move for Lance. And it actually, even based on some reports and some wording, seemed like they were in the driver's seat until Dallas then upped their offer and just won the Trey Lance Super. It's not like it was a sweepstakes, but they just out offered whatever the Bills did to the Niners and ended up with Trey Lance, which, by the way, I will say this. I don't look at Trey Lance as anyone necessarily that would be a vast improvement to Kyle Allen when it comes to now. The reason that that would have been an incredible move, by the way, is just solely because the return on investment could be potentially great. And if you can show him in a quality offense with great personnel, similar to a Mitch Trubisky situation and elevate his game, you could even then move him for something much more valuable down the line. And then maybe even he can build into something as well in the future as a quality backup in case of emergency as well. So I, I thought that I loved that the bills were exploring that idea just in Trey Lance as an isolated incident, but overall that tip the hand that no, I, I believe Kyle Allen, Kyle Allen quite literally has just played his way. It's, it blows my mind that that guy won his first ever six starts in the league. He had, he had tied the record for longest win streak to start a career with six wins, I believe it was. And it just blows my mind. Cause when you watch him, as you said, it's like the mobility is there and things like that. But, when it comes to actually playing the position of quarterback, when it comes to actually needing to do the job in front of you, and if you have to sit in there and just make a throw and make the throw well and accurate, it is very subpar, and it just doesn't work. And unfortunately for Josh Allen's buddy, he just he can't cut the he can't cut the bill. Like it, it just he can't get it done. I would not rely on that. I would be happy to take Case Keenum back as a backup at this point or anything else. It's just. Kyle Allen's just not it. And then Barkley's, of course, hurt. So he's not even going to be the option, nor would I really care for that option as well. I just think Barkley is not that guy who's a backup quarterback in this league. So it's just, no. I, I think the Bills are going to be eyeing the quarterback cuts come cut down day uh, Tuesday and seeing what is there. And then also even potentially, as we saw with the Trey Lance situation, seeing if there's someone out there that maybe they can move, you know, a seventh round pick or whatever it might be eventually to just get a backup quarterback in. That's just better suited than Kyle Allen. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think they did show their hand and they're going to be somewhat aggressive here. And, you know, I, I like a lot of what big baller Bean did this offseason. I'm fully aware that he didn't have a lot of assets to play with. 
he went on the cheap at quarterback, but my one complaint would be maybe next off season. Could we expand the quarterback search beyond Josh Allen's golfing buddies? Because, you know, at, at some point it, it just looks a little ridiculous when both of them are out there kind of falling on their face. Some names to keep in mind. Mason Rudolph is a name that keeps getting thrown out there. If the Steelers do intend to only keep two quarterbacks, we know the bills were high on him in the 2018 draft. And the story goes that had they struck out on Josh Allen, he might've been their preferred choice later in the draft. Whew. Um, and then Will Greer is a name that's catching a lot of fire right now. I don't know how much I buy into that. Honestly, I know he's looked good this preseason, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, I saw Nathan Peterman look really good in preseason once, but it is what it is. And PJ Walker got released today. That's an interesting name in my opinion, because he's a guy that has mobility, has a good arm, has some starting experience. And I think he's the kind of player that if Josh Allen had to go out for a couple games, you could actually scheme up some fun things on offense creatively to keep things going. That's a name I would keep an eye on. And, you know, beyond that, I have no interest in Carson Wentz. And I, I know Cam Newton keeps getting mentioned. I, has Cam Newton said anything about wanting to come back to the NFL? That would be kind of surprising to me. Um, but I'm with you. I, I think this is something that they're going to aggressively pursue. But I did have an idea that I floated out on Twitter on Saturday, Luca, that I think people were a little confused by. I said, what happens now that for this idea to work, Matt Barkley has to be healthy. So let's, let's go on the premise that Matt Barkley is healthy and ready to start the season. What if the bills roster one quarterback and Ooh. they, they release Matt Barkley and Kyle Allen. And the logic is I don't believe any team in the league is going to sign Matt Barkley to their active roster. Matt Barkley is going to go to the bills practice squad. I think there's about a 90% chance that no team in the league signs Kyle Allen to their practice, to their active roster. And he goes to the bills practice squad. And then just like we saw last year with Cole Beasley and John Brown, you can just elevate one or the other every week for the first six weeks until they're out of elevations. You have a free roster spot basically for the first month and a half of the season. Now the downside is yes, somebody could roster Kyle Allen and then you're stuck with Matt Barkley as your backup quarterback. But if you don't believe the gap is that big, it's really no no uh, no risk there, and there is a precedent for this. Funny enough, the Dallas Cowboys did this last year, and for the, the first week of the season, Dak Prescott was the only quarterback on the roster. Well, Dak got hurt week one, and then they had to elevate Cooper Rush to the main roster. But is that idea a little too wild for you, Luca, if they strike out on the backup quarterback market to maybe try to um, squeeze an extra roster space? If they strike out on the backup market, no. To me, that's actually not a crazy. It's bold. It is extremely bold. It is, it's the it's the most important position in the sport and everything like that. And for you to gamble it when it, or almost, I don't even want to call it gamble it. It kind of like so you brought up the Dallas, uh, brought up the Cowboys doing this right, and then Week One Dak gets hurt. It's almost like you're taunting the football gods, and you're mm -hmm. like, look what we're doing. And then the football gods immediately remind you why you probably shouldn't do that. So um, I'm not saying that it would immediately lead to more probability that Josh Allen would get hurt. But at the same time, I don't know if I'd tempt, tempt fate like that, but it's very bold. And honestly, if roster cut down becomes a thing, and like we even said this past Friday on our live show when talking about bubble guys, and I brought it up with Quentin Morris, not saying that he necessarily is the guy for me that I look at that that way, but he's just a name where it's like, if it comes to it, maybe he gets cut because you're just trying to be deeper somewhere else or whatever it is. What if Quentin Morris and then whoever the sixth linebacker is or whatever the, the 11th defensive lineman, whatever the number is, what if you've just valued that guy more than Kyle Allen and Matt Barkley and you are, you're willing to take that gamble? Because I think the key point of what you just brought up there too is, is the gap between Matt Barkley and Kyle Allen that big? No, not really. And as you said, this does depend on Matt Barkley being healthy. But then it's like, okay, someone signs Kyle Allen for whatever reason. And you're like, okay, right, when we need to elevate a backup, we're just going to elevate Matt Barkley. Like, so be it. And then you have that then for three weeks and you just, you just figure it out from there. And it's at that point, maybe you can sign a guy off the street. Maybe you convince PJ Walker at that point, that it's the best opportunity for him to come up to the bills by week four, whatever it might be like that. I do like the ability to play with that spot more because it's something that people just make the assumption you wouldn't. 
And depending on how you value individuals on your roster, Kyle Allen and Matt Barkley should not find themselves in any sort of comfortable position at health where they feel like they deserve a 53-man roster spot based on anything they have shown us of reason. They do not show anything that's like, yep, they deserve to be a backup. They deserve to be cushioned in that backup role. It's like, honestly, if Jordan, if it comes down to like, let's say this, Jordan Phillips or Kyle Allen, boy, am I tempted or Shaq Lawson for that matter. Just boy, am I tempted to go, no, I'm going to go with that defensive lineman and then we'll just figure out the backup thing later on. Yeah. And I think it's important, you know, and we understand that not everybody that's listening to this podcast, we appreciate all of you so much for doing this. Not everybody that listens to this podcast is fully versed in how NFL practice squad works. And that is fine. You do not do this for a living. We don't do this for a living. So if you're wondering, whoa, 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 why would the bills ever go into a game with only one quarterback? That is not what would happen. They would essentially every Saturday elevate Matt Barkley or Kyle Allen. That player would be active on game day. And if Josh Allen gets hurt week one against the Jets in the second quarter, knock on wood, Matt Barkley or Kyle Allen would be there to go in and take snaps. We're not saying that all of a sudden Gabe Davis would have to go in and play quarterback. Um, but it's it's really a way to, you know, it it only works if two things are true. One, if Matt Barkley's healthy. And two, if the Bills really don't see a huge gap between Kyle Allen and Matt Barkley. If both of those things are true, you can do that because there is just no team in the NFL that's going to add Matt Barkley to their active roster after not having him in camp all summer. And there, I would think probably no team that's going to do that with Kyle Allen. The only hesitation I have is he's younger. He started games in this league. And maybe you find a team that just wants to try to stick it to the bills. You know, a team that plays them early in the season. Dolphins even you could see that but I, I don't know I I think teams pretty much know who their quarterbacks are at this point in time so it's just something to kick around the last offensive topic I want to talk about Luca not a frontline topic but wide receiver six it has been a conversation between Justin Shorter Khalil Shakir and Andy Isabella there's room for two and I will tell you I don't think the preseason game was a good day for Andy Isabella and it really has nothing to do with his stat line. He had two catches for two yards, whatever. It's a preseason game. But two things happened that kind of concerned me. One, Khalil Shakir was warming up with the team, which tells me he might be a little closer to playing than we thought. Because if you listen to our show with Air Raid's Judge um, on Friday on Built in, I'm sorry, on Built in Buffalo, Bills Chat Live, we talked about the fact that there is an easy way for the Bills to keep six wide receivers. You essentially just put Khalil Shakir on IR and then you have to cut Andy Isabella for like a blink of an eye and bring him right back and he's your wide receiver six and Andy Isabella is there and Khalil Shakir starts the season on IR for the first four weeks well if Khalil Shakir is healthy that option goes away so now you actually do have to pick between the those six unless you keep seven well a couple things did not go in Andy Isabella's favor one he was not the primary kick returner or punt returner on Saturday against the Bears, both of those roles went to Deontay Hardy and Andy Isabella was the second one in line for that. And then when it came to being a gunner, which we saw Andy Isabella do week two against the Steelers, the first team gunners were Saran Neal, no surprise, and Justin Shorter. So I feel like the path for Andy Isabella to make this squad got trickier on Saturday if Khalil Shakir is healthy we could bring this back to Kyle Allen or Andy Isabella if you want to do it that way, or you know Shaq Lawson or Andy Isabella. There's there's other guys that are on the bubble, uh, but Luca, I think right now, unless they still have the option to put Shakir on IR, it's wide receiver seven or Andy Isabella's gone. That's that's where that's how I see it. How do how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that thought process. I think Khalil Shakir hasn't done quite enough that plays him off the roster when at health. I think the path for him, quite simply, the best path for him was the idea that we brought up on our live show, uh, Bill's Chat Live, where we talked about you know the example you mentioned where you put Shakir on IR, you essentially cut uh Isabella for all of two minutes you bring him back you sign him back to the active roster and then you just bought yourself a period of time where kind of Shakir's on IR you can designate him to return at whatever point that you're ready for it and then Isabella you just have to navigate that whole situation at that point in time um what I will say is I'm not overly I'm not as concerned 
about the um okay so you brought up hardy being the returner and then shorter being the primary gunner and stuff and i'm not overly concerned because those were still individuals even though i was seen as a or we were seeing isabella kind of in more elevated roles within those positions uh mainly in pittsburgh i those were still the guys to me And, and overall it's like i think to me just seeing him then do that and continue to show that at least he has value in that still keeps it in their mind that he can provide them all of those different roles for them. And then he gives you something that this team just does not have enough of. And that is sub four, four speed. That is four, three speed. He is quick and things like that. And he has the trust of certain individuals within the locker room that I think they have to continuously think about it. And overall, I wouldn't be massively concerned if they do inevitably cut him trying to bring him back to the practice squad. I don't think he would be a priority cut for anyone. I could definitely see him eventually signing with someone else because for whatever reason, you know, say the Texans in the world or whoever is just like, Hey, you know what? Being in the position that we are, we could utilize someone like that. Just we need speed ourselves and we lose out. And it's a gamble that unfortunately didn't work out for uh, being in McDermott. But, I, I don't necessarily see that being a massive issue. It was kind of like he was signed off the street to start training camp in the first place anyways. Um, but I don't necessarily assume that he can't make the roster. I could see this team going seven wide receivers deep, depending on the circumstance. I, I think there's enough bubble individuals, depending on what they do at defensive line, linebacker, tight end, a lot of other positions where you just really can't be certain on what they're going to do there that he could absolutely be there. And maybe they do want seven wide receivers because they just like having a lot of different options. Um, And then also just having an individual like Kincaid opens up so many more avenues. And then you have Quentin Morris as well, who opens or not Quentin Morris, sorry, um, Reggie Gilliam that opens up so many more avenues with his versatility, both between fullback and tight end stuff like that, where it's, you have a lot of moving chess pieces that can do multiple things. And I just wouldn't shut the door completely or say it's, you know, on the outside looking in at this point in time, I think there's still a path there and I'm not overly concerned, but it's, it's noteworthy for sure. And I understand where you're coming from, from that front. Um, I'm just going to be optimistic because I just really would love to see an individual like Isabella on this roster. I just think he can provide them something mainly offensively that if at times in spurts could be something that could be huge in the long run, but we'll have to see. Something I just thought of that might be an argument in favor of keeping him is think about last year. This is a team that's going to throw the ball 600 times. They major in throwing the ball and we know they're going to go more 12 personnel, but last year they ran out of receivers. Uh, They had Jake Kumara go down. Gabe Davis was limping around. Isaiah McKenzie was very clearly not the answer at wide receiver three. And they were basically going back into Buffalo bills. This is your life and bringing John Brown and Cole Beasley off the street to play very important snaps for them down the stretch. And I could see them being spooked by that. They lost Isaiah Hodgins because they start trying to cut corners at wide receiver and get cute with the practice squad. And if Josh Allen likes throwing the ball to Andy Isabella, which we we've heard that's the case from people covering the team and Kyle Allen and Josh Allen have said, so I don't think, I don't think they would come out and say, we don't like throwing in the ball, but I mean, you know, it is what it is. I could see the bills being like, look, our bread is buttered with how we throw the ball. If this is a weapon we like, we're going to find a way to keep them. If that means that we have to roster one quarterback, we roster one quarterback. If that means we have to lose Shaq Lawson, we lose Shaq Lawson. But for me, if it comes down to Isabella versus Shakir, that's where my that's where my concern is. If they're married to six wide receivers and Shakir's healthy, then it becomes a okay, they still have three years left of cost control for Shakir. We know it's a roller coaster with him, but he's still a young player. Can you channel the highs? Because the highs are pretty exciting. And Andy Isabella is a guy that's already been on two different teams before coming to the Bills. He was a free agent this late in the game for a reason. Maybe they feel pretty comfortable they could get him to their practice squad. But that thought I just had, Luca, I'm just like, man, thinking back to last year, maybe with what happened with Isaiah Hodgins actually is a mark in favor of just, hey, if we like him, let's keep him. Let's figure the rest out later. Yeah, it's a great thought, actually. You know, it's it's something that I don't think it's necessarily forgotten, but it might be overlooked by a lot where, yeah, you had meaningful snaps. I mean, it's a forgotten game for sure, other than the one thing that happened. But in the Monday night game, 
I actually remember this for whatever reason. In a third and short situation on the opening drive for the offense, they were designing a play to go to Cole Beasley just fresh off the street, essentially, in that moment. And it was like, this is the biggest game of the season with so much at stake, and you are designing a one-read play to Cole Beasley right now. That mm-hmm. is not the place we needed to be come week 17 in a game that is going to dictate who is playing who in the AFC rankings and standings among the playoffs. So it was just like, to me, I flash at that and it's like, okay, would you rather have an age a one year further age Cole Beasley who right now is not available technically, but overall like have to find yourself in a circumstance where it's like that, or as you're bringing up, you just go seven deep at this point, And then hopefully that becomes Isabella who has been with the team the whole time and is fresh and ready to step up if at all needed. And I love that idea. I like the idea of changing something because you already found yourself in such a detriment detrimental situation where it was like, this is dire. This is horrible. We can't be relying on John Brown on a, you know, a deep crosser against the Patriots week 18 to get a touchdown or Cole Beasley on a third and short to get our drive continued. It's it's like we can't do those things again this year. We need to have reliable individuals on the roster come those important games. And it's like, yeah. I, I do like that idea. I think that's a great point to bring up, Josh. Phenomenal brain you got over there. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to argue with you on that one, Luca. I was obsessed with Josh Allen's sleeves over the weekend. We're not going to get into that right now. But, you know, the simplest way to look at this is if you simply just look at it, they're not going to carry four running backs because last year Naheem Hines was a running back and they carried him and he's gone. And now Andy Isabella is here. That That's the swap out, same amount of players on offense. You can still have the same amount of offensive linemen and tight ends, everything else, two quarterbacks even, and swap it out that way. And quite honestly, I don't know how high the rest of the league values Shaq Lawson anyway. I think he's kind of looked at as a player that really just plays his best ball for the Bills. And at this point, I think he probably would go to the practice squad and be just fine. But let's talk about defense now. We've put it off long enough. The middle linebacker, Luca, AJ Klein and Terrell Dodson both got a lot of work on Saturday. Both of them played middle linebacker. They were on the field together for a while, both kind of swapping in at middle and weak side backer. And I feel like the the hard truth right now about these bills is I don't know if they have a starting caliber middle linebacker on this roster. I feel very confident that neither one of these two guys are. Um, AJ Klein at this point, I feel like we know who he is. He is solid in run support. Boy, did he have an NFL Follies level tackle miss on a Bears receiver where all of a sudden Klein just comes flying through your screen. And it's like, what what are you even doing on this play? But in general, Klein's the guy that he knows where he's supposed to be, but man, he just gets there super slowly. And then you have Terrell Dotson, who is a better athlete than Klein. But what is he doing half the time? It's like he doesn't know where he's supposed to be. He's going 100 miles an hour in random directions, Tasmanian devil style. And there was such an easy pitch and catch over the middle that he was clearly responsible for. And then he also missed the tackle on DJ Moore on that long catch and run. So I just... I don't think either one of these guys are the answer. And honestly, Luca, if I had to predict it today, stories coming out that Terrell Bernard is getting closer and he was, I think he's ready to practice this week. I think he's going to be their starting middle linebacker against the Jets. And I have no idea if he's any good. I don't know how you could have an idea if he's any good. The data on him is not great from year one. Started a game against the Jets. Did terrible. Couldn't get a jersey in a playoff game against the Bengals. Didn't have another defensive snap after that Jets game. But he's at least a mystery box. You don't know what you have in him. Klein and Dodson, you know exactly what you have, and then you know it's not good enough. So unless the Bills make a move, I feel like it's going to be Terrell Bernard by default. Maybe the best thing to happen to him this summer was he went away and let those guys show film. (laughs) Great finish to that point there. Um yeah, maybe Terrell Bernard won it by not existing on the field yeah. for all these weeks, which boy, what a what a situation that is. What a what a rise from uh, the ashes that is Terrell Bernard's career. Mm-hmm. Hey, let me not do anything to prove why I deserve this and then earn the spot. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go that far with it. I, I don't know if my head goes that far. I just don't think McDermott operates in that headspace. I just, I don't see how McDermott goes. Okay. This guy wasn't available due to health reasons, which is not necessarily all his fault of fault, of course, but it's like, he wasn't available to evaluate and everything like that. These other two individuals were there overall. I think what will happen 
at middle linebacker is Dotson or Klein, which I am not willing to guess at all anymore who the heck it's going to be. I'm with you 1,000%. They, they are not starting caliber middle linebackers in this league for really anyone. Um, but um, what I will say is this. I think one of them will be the starter come the Jets game, and they will be on an extremely short leash. And if at any point in time, if Bernard is, let's say, 90% healthy or better, if they screw up once, if AJ Klein does what he did on that touchdown run against the against the Bears, where he is back to the play, focused on a tight end as the quarterback is 10 yards down the field, about to just jog into the end zone right behind him. If that happens, McDermott will not let him see the field any further. And um, you will see Terrell Bernard in there from that moment forward. Cause it's not even like, I can't remember who the tight end was, but I remember just like picking the name real quick, looking it up. And I'm like, Oh yeah, this guy is a four, nine speed guy. And AJ Klein feels it's necessary to make sure he is squared up on him facing him. So he doesn't get out of his viewpoint or out of his reach. And it's like, Oh boy, this is a tough, tough scene. That's how I'd expect, you know, someone that's playing D three ball being called up to the pros playing that certain situation. I'm not saying AJ Klein isn't, you know, good between the ears. I'm just saying because he understands who he is physically, he felt it was necessary to defend in that manner. Not pretty. Um, if that happens against the Jets, I would I would find it not surprising at all. All of a sudden, next defensive series, you see Terrell Bernard out there at whatever percentage healthy is, or Dodson for that matter, just like a certain situation where it's a quick hook. And it's like, yep, yeah, we can't be doing that anymore. Or they do go with the option where, hey, AJ Klein can't be doing man coverage, as example shows. And it's like, if we we will package swap them, we will absolutely personnel package swap them. It's like we want to run a zone scheme to, right now. AJ Klein's in. We want to run man coverage a little bit more, man blitz, whatever it is. Dodson's in because we'll just take the athleticism at this point, whatever it is. I imagine that's going to be more of the road. I don't think they're just going to outright hand the job to Bernard just because I just, I, I don't think McDermott's that type of individual. I don't think McDermott's the kind of guy who goes, well, you both were so awful that this guy that I still really don't have full understanding of what I have is going to be the guy moving forward. I, I don't think it's that far, but I could see a world where it, it's a very, very quick you know hook. And maybe by the end of the Jets game or come week two, if Bernard's fully healthy after that, it's like, okay, we're going to be doing this. We're, we're doing it now. We gave you the one opportunity and you screwed it up, AJ Klein and Dodson. And I, I honestly could think of a situation where if it's Klein or Dodson you know, starting, it's third and five or longer, third, third and four. Taylor Rapp, get in there. Uh, Saran Neal, get in there. Like I think that's what they're going to be doing quite a bit of. It's interesting, though, because we know Dalton Kincaid's going to be a major player on this offense. We already talked about the fact that Osiris Torrance is going to be starting on this offense. We're about to have a conversation about a second-year cornerback, maybe not the one you're thinking of, that has a real strong chance of starting on this defense. And if, if Terrell Bernard mans that middle linebacker role, all of a sudden, this narrative that Brandon Bean can't draft talent could get flipped upside down if all these guys just play decent because they're young. You're not expecting them to set the world on fire. Maybe Kincaid's a little different at this point, but um, I, I think that would be interesting. A team that was so shy about going to these young players, all these question marks on the team could end up being filled by a young player. I'm certainly rooting for it. I feel like we know what we have. In the Dane Jacksons, the Ryan Bates, um, the AJ Clients, and Terrell Dodsons of the world. And I, I'm definitely embracing the youth movement. And let's just let these guys go out there and see what happens. So that's kind of exciting to think about. But let's not waste any more time because the reason why Luca is so excited to do this show tonight is well, I actually had another question for you before we get to Christian Benford. Oh, don't tease me. I'm like sorry. That. I have one more question. True or false? The Bills starting middle linebacker is currently employed by the Buffalo Bills. True. This is not like the backup quarterback position. I, it would be crazy. I just said what I said there. You know, McDermott doesn't seem like the kind of individual to hand it to Bernard because he hasn't shown him anything. Could you imagine a world where all of a sudden week one, he signed a dude off the street, said, screw all y'all and then started someone else completely. I just, 
look, I'm not going to say it's a it's zero percent chance. I would just say it's a very low percent chance, just based on what we've seen with McDermott, how I think McDermott thinks, and things of that nature. It would just seem very out of character to me if he did something as crazy as that. Christian Kirksey starting Ugh. middle linebacker week one against the Jets. I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt it. I think the Bills are I think the Bills are going to keep five linebackers. Balen Specter pulled a hamstring late in that game. I think that kind of clears the path for Tyrell Dotson to make the roster. Um and uh, Matikavich will be there, Klein, and then the two young guys, Bernard and Williams, which you know, at this point Luca, you we talked about last year. What happens if Deion Dawkins goes down? And you know, who who's your backup tackle? Last year it was what happens if Stefan Diggs goes down? What it's still that way this year, by the way. Um, <laughs> Jake Kumaro goes in, they're better insulated with Trent Sherfield and Hardy, but you know, Diggs is Diggs. But man, Matt Milano sure did boost to the top of that list. Oh, 1000%. <laughs> yeah, oh boy, Doran Williams and uh, Tyrell Dotson have <laughs> fun. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Just imagine Dorian Williams and Tyrell Dodson out there trying to slow down the Miami Dolphins offense week four. Oh, misdirections everywhere. Don't imagine it. Actually, it's not yeah, going to yeah. happen. Let's let's not think about that. We're going to be fine. We're going to be just just fine. And by the way, I love Tremaine Edmonds. I think he was criminally underrated by Bills fans, but there's probably a certain fan out there that enjoyed the first Stefan Diggs completion that did come at the expense of Tremaine Edmonds. He got picked. I know people want to say that he was met, lost in coverage. I think he got picked and confused, and Diggs beat him. Diggs is, Diggs is going to beat any middle linebacker. By the way, Fred Warner's not covering Diggs. But, hey, Tremaine Edmonds haters, you had your moment. All right, Luca, enough stalling. <laughs> Christian Benford got the start at cornerback two, and holy cow, was that a cool moment because you are the biggest Christian Benford stand I know. I obviously love the dude, and the whole – frustration point all off season with Dane Jackson, which really has nothing to do with Dane Jackson. He's just doing his job is man. We drafted two cornerbacks last year. Christian Benford looked really good. Every time he got a shot, Kyrie Elam, they traded up for in the first round and neither one of these guys are ready to be better than Dane Jackson, or at least challenge him. Well, Christian Benford started opposite Tredavious white played a couple series and he was out. He got the VIP treatment on defense. Kyrie Elam played into the mid third quarter, by the way, but Luca, he made a good pass breakup on a ball, on a ball that was intended for, I want to say DJ Moore. He broke that up on him, made a great tackle on Justin Fields in the open field. And I got to tell you, I didn't expect to be here. I think it is a coin flip or maybe even better in Christian Benford's uh, favor that week one, the starting cornerbacks, Tredavious White and Christian Benford, and I'm just going to pass it to you and see if you agree. Uh, 75 to 80% sure Christian Benford will be starting opposite of Trey White. Come the Jets. He will be lined up against Alan Lazard or Garrett Wilson. I, I would imagine they're going to stick them to their sides. They wouldn't be following um, in this uh, scenario just because they're, they're both. They're not guys who then shadow and cover whoever it is. That's not the defense that the Bills run, stuff like that. Everyone knows that. But. Christian Benford deserves this. I think Christian Benford showed McDermott why he should be that guy over Dane Jackson. And then on top of it all, he just gives you the most sure blanket over top trustworthy situation. And for him to get the VIP treatment, like you mentioned, there was the overwhelming thing to me where my confidence that he was going to be the guy starting week one opposite of Dane Jackson against the Rams last season and understanding that they would want to go with a more reliably safe option opposite of the individual they knew was going to be their number one guy. We're at that same point again, and I'm not saying Dane Jackson isn't a safe, reliable option. Just Benford is more so of that and provides you a higher end or higher ceiling promise at that corner two position at this point in time and good on him. He absolutely deserves it. He shows time and time again, why he is a quality individual on this roster, why he's a quality corner. And honestly, if it wasn't for him, we could be in a disastrous situation at that position right now, um, being Elam situation and everything else going on there where we're just praying to God that Dane Jackson is still, kind of even mannered and doesn't show any of his dips. Um, I, I, it's so happy. I'm so happy to see an individual from, from the first time I saw him 
and we've saw seen him where it's like, oh, this guy's come out of nowhere and seems to be grabbing the opportunity and running with it. And if it wasn't for an injury last season where he broke his hand or wrist, I can't remember what it was. Obviously, I know it was in that vicinity. Um, it, it probably stunted his ability to continue to grow last season, but even he was rushed back, it seemed like. Uh, he wasn't hundred percent at that point. They clubbed him up a little bit and they still put him out there for meaningful snaps. And I think that spoke a lot when it comes to how they felt about him last season. And now come this year in this battle that it is cornerback two. he has excelled when given the opportunities and when shown time and time again, that he can be relied on uh, with this staff and with this team. And he, he deserves all the accolades he could possibly get. He, he is quickly, uh, fast tracking up my favorite bills of all time. And I, I might at this point, Josh, I might have to find his Jersey, get it autographed and add it in the collection. That is Larry Fitzgerald, Daniel Breer, Patrick Kane, Mo Salah, all these jerseys and add him to the Luca wall of fame that is developing over time because he is just unbelievable. It's so awesome to just be able to spotlight someone like that, fall in love with someone like that and see them succeed out of absolutely nowhere and enjoy the ride along with them. It's phenomenal. I, I love seeing Benford play, and I'm so happy that it continues to trend positively for him in his career. And I really expect him, I, like I said, 75 to 80% sure he will be starting corner two opposite of Trey White come the Jets game on Monday night. Something that stood out to me early this offseason was, well, early in training camp was when Dane Jackson was getting the lion's share of the first team reps. Joe Biscaglia at The Athletic wrote an article, and he was basically saying, or maybe this was on his podcast, I apologize, but he basically said he thinks the Bills are looking for any excuse, any player to step up and take the job from Dane Jackson. And if somebody can, they're going to give it to him. And that was interesting to me because my fear from the outside looking in was they wanted Dane Jackson to be the starter and somebody was really going to have to take it. So it almost sounds like they're in lockstep with us of, okay, Dane Jackson's here. It's a great insurance policy, but man, we got to find a way to do better. Maybe that's what it is. As Christian Benford finally entered the room with Dane Jackson and they're like, all right, fine, we're going with you. Uh, we'll see what happens, but you know, Luca, there's two sides of this conversation. As happy as we are about Christian Benford, the sixth round pick who could potentially be starting and certainly the third boundary corner on this roster at the very worst. The downside of that conversation is the first round draft pick from last year, Kyer Elam, same draft as Christian Benford, five rounds earlier than Christian Benford, now is no higher than the fourth boundary cornerback on the roster, fifth overall cornerback when you factor in Taron Johnson. And I think there is a very realistic possibility that Kyrie Elam is a healthy scratch on game days. When you look at what the Bills did last year, particularly if they keep Cam Lewis on their roster, uh, Kyrie Elam just doesn't do enough depth-wise outside of boundary corner where a guy like Cam Lewis can play all the defensive back positions and be a four-phase special teamer and get you out of a game at boundary corner if you have to. Um, at this point, Luca, if that is his trajectory, is Kyer Elam already a bust or what is the net, what is the path for him at this point um, that you, that you view for him? He's not definitively a bust, but he is absolutely trending towards bust at this point in time. And I want to say that in the most respectful way possible, because realistically, not every first rounder is a resounding success. Ed Oliver, we have had our gripe with, and he was a top 10 pick. We're talking about an individual who was picked, uh, memory servicing, right? 20, 22, 22, 20, 23. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously 20s. Um, so yeah, we moved up two spots to get him. So it's like, I'm not going to go ahead and give him any sort of like crutch to what's going on. I think it's disappointing. Um, everything that's transpiring with his career trajectory at this point and what's going on with his situation with the bills. I still think there's promise to be had, but at the same time, I would absolutely be entertaining trade offers for him. I would be seeing what you can do with him because I think the asset that is Kyrie Elam is more valuable when it comes to trade asset than roster asset. Um, and it, he just tips the scale more, I think for outsiders than he does in-house clearly if you are putting Dane Jackson and Christian Benford above him, and then you're even valuing uh, Cam Lewis over him on game days where you might make him inactive. I don't know if I'm as strongly opinionated as you are when it comes to that, but I, I don't disagree with it either. I, I understand the philosophy and understanding and mindset when it comes to that, because yes, 
Cam Lewis just offers you more on game day to get you out of more situations and do more things for you. It's just, it's the bottom line. Like you need individuals who can fill in in a pinch when it comes to depth at multiple things. You need to be more versatile. And if Kyer Elam cannot do, you know, special teams duties or any of that kind of stuff for you, it's like, then what is your value to this team outside of your primary position? Not a whole heck of a lot. So you just want to have the individuals available that can do more things for you in case of injuries, in case of whatever circumstances, you know, present themselves on game day. So I, I just, I look at Kyer Elam as, you know, an individual that you can still hope will progress. And maybe it's just taking longer than, you know, usual. Um, he's not quite the bust. He's trending towards bust, of course. Like he is now really walking down that path. And this is the time where if I were Brandon Bean, for instance, I would absolutely, I wouldn't be actively shopping him because I think that's a red alarm. I, I think that's a red flag to individuals. But at the same time, if trade talks transpire and you're trying to get something from a team, He's an individual where his name's on the board as an asset to potentially move in order to acquire something else that you're interested in. And you're not just actively shopping him, like I said, but he is absolutely available for other teams and probably is viewed as kind of, he's not a first round. You wouldn't get a first rounder for Kyrie Elam. He hasn't shown anything that would show a value to that, even though he was drafted at that uh, level, he would probably be looked at as like a third, fourth round pick. Um, in return. And that's even a stretch. It feels like at this point in time, just because again, what has he shown you to really do that other than a flash and a glimpse here and there of his athleticism. Uh, but that's his value to this team more so than just anything he can do in the roster. So it's a crazy situation. I'm still not going to permanently put bust on him, but overall he is walking down the path of bust. And realistically he's at a, he, he himself in his career is at a big kind of turnpike or a big crossroad. And then also uh, Brandon Bean and the management of the asset that is Kyrie Elam as it is at a big crossroad and they, a decision kind of needs to be made sooner rather than later on what you want to do with him before you completely lose everything. So we just saw Trey Lance, who was the third overall pick quarterback go for a fourth round pick two drafts ago, third overall point. pick go for a fourth round pick, maybe more apples to apples. In 2020, 2020, CJ Henderson was a top 10 pick by the Jacksonville Jaguars. The very next fall, which is where we're heading toward here with Kyer Elam, he was traded to the Carolina Panthers for a third round pick, but they also had to throw in a fifth. And there was Dan Arnold, the tight end was in that trade too. But <laughs> essentially it was like, we will give you the player in a fifth to get a third, which I think again, kind of falls right into that fourth round value. I don't know, Luca, that I'm ready to give up on Kyrie Elam for just like a fourth round pick because that's just a lotto ticket scratch off at this point. But to your point, if I can get a tackle that gives me more confidence than Ryan Vandemark or David Questenberry, or if I can get uh, a middle, I mean, a middle linebacker. <laughs> I mean, what if, what if Devin Lloyd, what if the Jaguars are like, hey, you know, we'll trade you your first round pick from last year for ours, Devin Lloyd. That'll never happen, but that's just a name that came to my mind because I know he struggled last year. Um, things like that. Like, yeah, you want to you want change the scenery for both of us? Great. Uh, but in general, I, I think I'd ride this out with Kyrie Elam because I, I, like you said, his stock is so low right now and he still has that athletic upside. And unlike busts of Bill's past, like Mike Williams, the O2, uh, tackle from Texas. I really feel like Christian or Christian. I feel like Kyrie Elam wants to be great. It's not a want to situation. It's not a work ethic thing. If anything, maybe he puts too much pressure on himself, but I feel like he's going to grind to get better. He does have uncoachable skills as far as like gifts. He was blessed to be born with. So I think there's enough to work with here, but man, it's disappointing. It's unfortunate. It's the reality of the NFL. It's a hard sport to play. It's why there's so many draft misses and the Bills feel like they've had their share of them over recent years. Uh, but good news for Christian Benford and anything else that popped out to you from the preseason game. I did mention Ryan Vandemark. It, it seems like he might even be like trending toward roster lock at this point. Uh, I know he's more comfortable at left tackle than right tackle, but they're just quite frankly running out of bodies there. And I feel like David Questenberry is going to make this roster by default. Uh, Quentin Morris, I think, will make the roster just because they're going to, and he had a really nice catch. That's not the reason why. They already released Jay Sternberger. Um, anything else stand out to you from this preseason game that you want to mention? 
No, I just think this preseason game, realistically, when we did our exercise of our prediction of the 53-man roster, um, really uh, assured kind of what we felt about who would make it, who would be you know on the ins and who's on the out, stuff like that. For instance, we had Balen Spector on the bubble at health, and now unfortunately for him, obviously it seems like his health has kind of found his way out in a different circumstance, but we had him on out on the bubble. Um, you had other individuals like Shaq Lawson, who still feels like he's on the bubble, of course, stuff like that just depends on what they do. Quentin Morris looked decent and he was kind of a bubble, maybe kind of guy. And I think he will make the roster stuff like that. It it just will be interesting on the topics we talked about. I'm super excited for Christian Benford. Just can't emphasize that enough. I really wish, uh, for new, for numeric sake, uh, Benford and Elam would swap numbers because I'd love to see a number 24 corner out there. Excel. Uh, I, I don't mean that to be a shot at Elam either. It's just, no, it's a shot. At, it's a shot at the number 47. It's hideous. Oh, no, no, no. I actually don't mind the number 47. Let For me, let me just, yeah, let me, let me have that on the record right now. Okay. I don't mind the number. What I'm saying is my favorite bill of all time secretly is obviously Terrence McGee. And I would just love to see that number out there with just someone else now you know, kind of filling those shoes of 24 and actually being out there and producing. They're not similar players at all. I could see a Kyer Elam being more of a Terrence McGee than Christian Benford. But overall, I just like to see a 24 out there. Um, It will just be interesting on cut down day. It'll be fascinating to see what happens. And obviously we talked about it tonight, middle linebacker and more importantly, quarterback. What are they going to do with those two things? What is going on? The game really didn't do anything to change my mind with that it just almost overemphasized it's like those are the two problems we need to see what's available there we talked about it to death it seems like this entire preseason and even including tonight um but yeah i i didn't really learn anything great that we didn't already talk about here tonight come the game and it's just i'm happy it's over man i'm just so happy preseason's over the Bills made a few roster moves on Sunday, and these will be trickling in throughout throughout the next couple of days as teams have to be down to 53 by August 29th. I believe that's 4 p.m. Eastern. Correct. Uh, um, they have released defensive tackle Cortez Broughton, wide receiver Isaiah Coulter, safety Jared Maiden, tackle Garrett McGinn, who was just signed like a week or two ago, wide receiver Des Patman, uh, tight end Jay Sternberger, and linebacker Deshaun White, who also was just signed a week ago and then defensive end Shane Ray was released with an injury settlement that really does do him a favor because they'd put him on IR gives him a chance to get healthy and catch on elsewhere maybe he comes back to the Bills practice squad I, I kind of doubt it at this point in time especially with the way Kingsley Jonathan's playing all right Luca well what's next for us is well Labor Day weekend is coming up which means there are no football games but it is the last NFL free weekend which means it is the perfect time for us to make our season predictions. And next week on Bill's chat, Luca and I are going to go through the entire Bill's schedule and give them wins or losses. We are not going, we're going to do this separately. So there will be some arguments. Luca and I are competitive. And within that, we will make other predictions too, like how we think Dalton Kincaid will do what we think the offense will look like. It is not an episode you will want to miss because we have put a lot a lot of time and energy these last few weeks, folks, into who the fourth tackle is going to be, who the fourth cornerback is going to be, who, who's going to be the sixth linebacker. And now it's time to focus on quarterback one, wide receiver one, left tackle one, and let the starters go out there and play and figure out just how good these 2023 Buffalo Bills are. Luca, I can't wait to put this preseason mindset behind us and start focusing on the true meat and potatoes of this team. I cannot wait as well. I can't wait to go through the schedule myself, just kind of feel it out, see what it is. Obviously, the vibes I had for week one last season were phenomenal. So for anyone listening, if you hadn't listened last year at this point in time, you're going to want to listen to my prediction for that week one because it's a beauty and it might win you some money, of course. But overall, what I will say is I'm just happy to talk real football, predict real things, as you mentioned, with QB one wide receiver one, all these things where it's like this is why we are fans. This is what we look forward to the most with our football fandom. And it's just it's exciting. It, it feels like right now it's almost like it's December 18th and Christmas is around the corner and we're just so excited for Christmas day to see all the fun things happen and what we get. 
you are listening to this on Monday or whenever you get to it. Hopefully it's on Monday, but whenever you get to it, we certainly appreciate that. But if you're listening to it on Monday, two weeks from today, the Bills take the field against those New York Jets. Luca, I don't want you to give your prediction, but last year you were consistent, confident, confident, confident. I mean, this was when the schedule came out, we were going to smash the Rams. This was back in April. The Rams had just won a Super Bowl, and you're like, no, they're going to get smashed. Vibe check? How are we feeling? I'm feeling better than I was on Friday. All I'll say is I watched that Jets-Giants game, and that opening sequence for the Jets offense was less than uh, good, we'll call it. And it seemed... I'm not saying it wasn't expected or surprising because look, it's Aaron Rodgers in a new place, probably a lot going on pregame and stuff. Just, it was the first time he was dressed up, things like that, you know, just missing throws, whatever it is. I think that will bleed into the regular season. I've mentioned that in the past. We will talk about this at length next week, but my vibe check right now, let me put a percentage on it here for everyone. I was at Friday, probably in a, we'll call it 55 to 60% window of i think the bills win but it'll probably be scrappy and ugly i'm not going to give a score prediction of course i am probably now still think it's scrappy and ugly it's a division game look it's prime time division game it's going to be scrappy and ugly i would be shocked if it's a high flying affair um but i will say that i'm probably right now in the 65 to 70 percent sure the bills win this one i think that's a little high compared to where the uh average of the bills mafia fan base is at currently but i'm just telling you right now There's something to be said when it comes to consistency and having the same unit you've had for the past few years to then all of a sudden having this crazy new offense and all these different looks and everything like that. And overall, I I think people should be a little bit more confident in the bills than they probably feel at this point in time. That Jets offensive line is going to be an issue. It's going to be an issue. And I know help is on the way, but I'm not as confident in the help that's coming. Uh, you mentioned scrappy and ugly. It's so funny because that's how my wife described me to her family when they introduced me to them for the first time. So kind of brought back some memories, Luca. Oh, final final thought, though. We brag about draft predictions like, oh, Tyreek Woolen, we were so good on him. And, oh, um, you know, we, we like to we like to bring up our hits. I will just tell you right now, last offseason, I was not high on Garrett Wilson. I didn't <laughs> see a special player. Holy cow, was I wrong. That guy is special. And you know who he reminds me of is going to be strong. Reminds me of Diggs. The way, the way he gets open, the quickness, the subtleties, the nuances with his routes, the violence he plays with, he reminds me of Diggs. And he's going to be a pain in the ass for the next decade and a half, I think, for these Buffalo Bills. But hopefully it doesn't start in two weeks. Luca, any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, I I think we have had a beautiful episode tonight. I'm excited that this is kind of the bow on top of a preseason. That is the 2023 preseason. We've had a phenomenal time. We will not miss you 2023 preseason. I am excited for regular season to get it going. All right. Well, if you are watching this on Bill's chat, YouTube, please take a moment to subscribe. It would help us out so much as we are still continuing to build that channel from the ground up. There will be a quick chat release this week. When the Bills do iron out their 53-man roster, we will talk about everything going on with that. Built in Buffalo Live, Bills Chat Live on Built in Buffalo will be this coming Friday. There will be no Luca. He will be traveling, uh, but Stokes will be tagging in for that episode. Topic to be determined, but I think it's going to be a little bit big picture, how we feeling, pulse of the fan base kind of episode. I think that's right around the time you want to be doing that going into the Labor Day weekend. And then Luca and I'll be back bright and early Monday morning with our season prediction episode for Luca. I just pointed to myself as it for Luca. For Luca, I am Josh McCarty. We will see you next time on Bill's Chat.